Last week we explored this idea, living as laborers. And today what we're going to be doing is I'm going to be preaching a part two um, of that message. And uh, this morning I just want to take a quick moment to kind of uh, recap what we went over. Uh, for those who weren't here, so you can kind of know what, uh, we've been, what the journey that we've been going on. But also for us who were here last week, that we would have a refresher, that we would uh, remember what we kind of explored last week so that we can again just kind of be reminded you know scientists was to say that repetition is so important if we actually want to grasp what we're hearing and it not just be something that we hear but it's something that we actually begin to do and begin to practice so last week we talked about Matthew chapter 9 and uh, it says this in verse 35 and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And some other translations for that word affliction uh, translated to be casting out demons, casting out evil spirits out of people. And so this verse here, verse 35, uh, it's, 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 this, it's this verse that Matthew puts in his gospel to kind of let us know that this is what Jesus literally did. You know, we're here in Matthew chapter 9, uh, but if you read Matthew chapter 5 through to chapter 9, uh, you'll see that this is literally what Jesus did. He went around throughout different cities, throughout different villages. If he was here today, it'd be like Jesus started in Perth and then he went to this town and then he went to another town and he wasn't just kind of bound to greater Perth. He, he went up north, he, he went up north, north and he went south, south. This is, this is kind of the journey that Jesus went through, but it wasn't in Australia, <laughs> it was in Israel. Uh, specifically, it was in Galilee where he he grew up where he was raised and he didn't just kind of go on a holiday. He ran a, went around teaching and preaching. If you know what Matthew 5 is, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most amazing messages. In fact, that we've advanced so much kind of uh, in science and in our understanding of the world, but no one has trumped the moral teachings that are found on the Sermon of the Mount. This is where Jesus famous, famously said, in, in a, in a war-torn culture, in, a, in, 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 a, in, a, in Israel when they were occupied by the Roman occupation, Jesus said, don't hate your enemies, love your enemies. And ever since then, the world has been getting better because of these words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. And so Jesus went around teaching, but he didn't just teach. He actually demonstrated what he was teaching. You know, it's good to kind of say that God's good and God can heal you, but it's another thing to actually show that that's possible. And Matthew chapter 7 through to 9, a story after story after story after story of Jesus healing a blind man, Jesus healing someone who was crippled, Jesus casting out demons. And so we come to this point here and Matthew kind of finishes proving this point. Jesus went out through all the cities, through all the villages, healing, proclaiming the good message of Jesus and casting out every demon. And then it says this in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So the idea here is that now Jesus has finished this tour. Okay, Jesus has gone to Joondalup. He's gone to Geraldton, he's gone to Albany, he's gone to Kalgoorlie, he even made it into the darkest reaches of the East Coast, he went to Sydney, went to Melbourne, you know, he's come back and he's seen the crowds, right? Matthew's trying to really paint this picture. Jesus has done the work and he didn't fly around, he was walking around everywhere, he's seeing 
all the people and having seen all that number of people, this was Jesus' observation. The people, and in other words, my people, Jesus is saying, my people are helpless and harassed. And then he uses an illustration, like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is trying to paint this picture. You know, when I, Jesus is saying, when I was healing this person, when I was casting out this demon out of this person, as I was proclaiming the message of Jesus, that my message, I realized that my people are harassed. They're helpless. Why are they harassed? They're harassed because of the weight of sin. They're harassed because of the weight of the kingdom of darkness. Why are they helpless? Because they don't know how to help themselves. They're helpless. So this is Jesus' conclusion after seeing the crowds. It's not just a kind of sweeping statement. He saw it with his own eyes. People who are harassed, people who are helpless, healing, delivering, setting people free. And then from this place, from this conclusion, Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says this in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus then uses another metaphor. And Jesus did this all the time. He wants to make what can sometimes be complex and hard to understand, simple and easy for us to understand. So Jesus uses another metaphor that would have made total sense back then in an agricultural society, people growing their own produce or in that market kind of place for us today. We just go down to Coles, just go down to Woolies, need this, need that. Back then, you had to grow it or you had to work and earn to be able to kind of buy it. And it was a hard task. And so Jesus says, they are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he turns to his disciples and he says, look, the harvest. In other words, the people that need help are plentiful. There's many. There's so many people that need help. There are so many people that need to hear my message. But the laborers are few. How many laborers were in the harvest at that point? One. It was just Jesus. Jesus was the only one that was going out into the harvest to go and help people. So Jesus then says in verse 38, Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. And again, we're in Matthew chapter 9, the next chapter, Matthew chapter 10. He sends out the 12. He sends out the 12 disciples to go do exactly what he was saying that they should do, go out into the harvest. But here's what Jesus is saying. The harvest is an issue. It's a real concern. There are many people who are helpless. There are many people who are being harassed by the weight of darkness, the weight of sin. But the bigger issue is that there are not enough laborers to go out into the harvest field. So the problem isn't the harvest. The problem is the lack of laborers going into the harvest. And last week I shared that um, right now, uh, Australian farmers, that they're rejoicing. They're, they're actually really actually quite excited because after years of drought and after years of floods, mainly over in the East Coast, they've finally had a real bumper harvest, not just in one sector, but many sectors of, of, of harvesting. And they're like, yes, finally, we've been waiting for this for years to yield this crop and yield this harvest. 
But Australian farmers right now, because of the after effects of COVID, are saying even though we, we've been waiting for this, we're, we're so excited about this, we simply don't have enough laborers because of the borders being closed for quite a while international workers are, are reluctant to kind of go out into the harvest fields we, we we've realized we've relied heavily on international workers to actually go out into the harvest and, and, and bring all of that stuff in and farmers in some cases farmers are actually leaving produce to rot or to actually be unharvested not because of desire but because of literally manpower they cannot go out and harvest it, and it's breaking their hearts. And the amazing thing is, is that Australian farmers right now are echoing the words of Jesus. In the natural, we can't harvest the, the natural harvest, but in the supernatural, it's the same, it's the truth. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And sadly, unless we decide to actually do something, unless we rise up to the call that God has called us to, that, that he's called us to do, to go out and reap harvest, to go out and see people come to know Jesus. And I know this might sound heavy, but the honest truth is, people will rot in, he- in hell if we don't go out and reap a harvest. People will live life aimlessly if they're not told the amazing message of Jesus. And it, the heart, come on, you're with me this point. The, the problem's not the harvest. The problem is that there are not enough laborers. And as Jesus said it over 2,000 years ago, the same is true today. We're going to have a look on the screen. Here is the harvest. We've got some numbers that are going to come up right now. Uh, this was the census from last year. It was just released uh, in June, in the middle of this year. And uh, uh, new to the, the census data this year, people were able to tick, tick non-religious. It wasn't existent before. And so these aren't people who have a belief. This is people who don't have a belief. So these numbers here, they don't include those who are Jewish, don't include those who are Muslims, don't include Buddhists, don't include all these other belief systems. This is just people who don't have a belief system in our country. In Australia, 38.4% of people ticked this box. Then add on those who are following another belief system. Over 9 million people in Australia don't know Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. In Western Australia, it's over 1 million people that don't know Jesus. And sometimes we can see those numbers and it's like, okay, that's, that's a lot. Like, I, I can't quantify that. To kind of really boil it down, here in, in Warwick and Greenwood, they kind of combined the two suburbs when they did the census. There are 6,262 people who are non-religious, who, who don't follow Jesus, and then add on those who believe in another belief system. 45.6% of these two suburbs that we find us in don't know Jesus. Church, the harvest is plentiful, but the same issue remains. The laborers are few. And so we ask ourselves this question. If the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few, then there's an honest, sobering question that we need to ask ourselves. Am I a part of the problem or am I a part of the solution? The harvest is plentiful. We're not trying to hope that there are people who need to know Jesus. There are millions of people who don't know Jesus. The problem still remains. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I a part of the solution to the harvest or am I a part of the problem that the harvest is not being brought into the kingdom of God?
And this morning, if, if, if you're here, this is your first time and you're on a journey of faith, uh, just kind of these, hear these words, but don't, don't feel this conviction this morning. I'm, talk, I'm talking to those who follow Jesus. I'm talking to those who've been in church a long time. Come on, we have too many people in our churches that, that, that their existence of Christianity is go to Sunday, tick, read a few verses a week, tick. That's, that's my full existence of my Christianity. But that, there's so much more to following Jesus. And there's not just more kind of gimme, gimme, gimme. There's a call. There's a call that Jesus has called us to, to go out, Matthew 28, go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. Come on, we, we've named this church Disciple House. We're serious about this. We, 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 this is not, uh, not uh, kind of like hype house. This is not live your best life house. This, this, is, this is disciple house. We want to raise disciples. We want to raise people who are going out into their world and reaching people for Jesus. The issue is we have many believers in Jesus, but we don't have many laborers for Jesus. There's heaps of believers. There are many believers. You're in the space today and you follow Jesus. You're a believer, but the question is, are you a laborer? And the difference is, is believers believe in Jesus, and that's it, full stop. That, that's kind of the beginning and the end of the, the expression of my Christianity. I believe in Jesus, full stop. Nothing else kind of happens after that. Whereas laborers are different. Laborers, obviously, they believe in Jesus, but they labor for Jesus and with Jesus, meaning they're actively working to redeem this world, they're actively about going out into the community and seeing God's harvest come about. And so we explored this question. The main idea of the message last week was this, the harvest is plentiful. And it's been a week since we've explored this idea and it hasn't changed. The harvest is still plentiful. And, you know, this morning I, I'm wanting to reiterate this point because we, we can't just hear it once and kind of be like, oh, that was great. Awesome message. Thanks, Sam. I felt really challenged. Well, my question to you is this. What, what did you do with that challenge this week? Because if, we, if we're going to hear this, we've got to really apply it to our life. Welcome to Disciple House. We're here. We're out here. We're serious. We're, we're about seeing the kingdom one. And of course, we're about you, your wholeness and your healing. That, that's, a, that's another whole aspect of Disciple House. And, but we're here today talking about the fact that there are millions upon millions in our country, there is above a million in our state, and in our two suburbs, there is over thousands of people who don't know Jesus. The problem is we don't have enough laborers. So last week, we talked about this at the heart level. What's our heart response? If we want to become a laborer, what's our heart response? And again, I'm not going to go into full detail, just really kind of rehash this. Uh, laborers transition from me, myself, and I. That the Christian existence is not about me, myself, and I. At first it is. It's a, it's a moment of realization that God loves me, that He cares about me, that He wants to forgive me. But, but during the course of your sanctification, which is just a theological term for you growing to become more and more like Jesus, there's this realization that life is not about me. And my pre-Jesus life was all about me. How I can get to the top how I can fulfill all of my desires, good and evil. It's all about me. What can I do this weekend? How can I benefit myself this week? But the Christian existence is not about me, myself and I. It's about others. And church is not about you. Church is not about me, myself and I. Church is about all of us coming together. But then us realizing that there are 6,000 people in our community 
who need to be in this building. Your family members, your work colleagues, your friends, they need to know about the goodness of Jesus. The other thing that we explored is that laborers are upset. They're not content. And it's like, our laborers just really depress people. No, that's, that's not the point here. It's that when we see people who are in sin, people who are broken, and, and just want to kind of rehash here, everyone is broken. Everyone is in need of Jesus. The sad thing kind of in our culture in Western society is because we're so prosperous and because we have so much, we, Jesus is now Lord, but our workplace is our Lord. Our finances are our Lord. And we live life relatively peacefully and comfortably. But the truth remains that when we pass, we're all going to be on the same level playing field. We're all going to face the judgment of God. And the truth is that people need to be awake to this, that your money is not going to get you to heaven. Your job is not going to get you to heaven. Your relationship with Jesus is going to get you to heaven. And so it's this idea that we don't just see people and we go, oh, they don't follow Jesus. Okay, I'm content with that. Cool. No worries. No, no, this should move us. This, this should cause us to action. We should be upset, not content with the state of the harvest field. Uh, the, the third thing that we explored last week is that laborers are a help to the helpless. If Jesus says they are helpless, then the solution is that I'm a help, that I'm there to go out and help people. And this is not, this is not a judgment seat. This is not a place of like, I'm better than you. No, you're only better because of what Jesus has done in your life. It's all because of Jesus, and you only know better because of the knowledge of Jesus, because of the wisdom of Jesus. But again, that we don't live life kind of looking at people who, are, who need help or, or, or need assistance and kind of turn our eyes away from them, but that we actually go to them and that we're a help to them in our community. And the last thing is that laborers live on assignment. Again, it's kind of attacking that kind of Western life, that Western culture, that life is just about the house. It's about the boat, it's about paying off the mortgage, and then boom, that's my life. There's so much more. And those things honestly aren't bad. I'm praying for a boat. I love fishing. I want a boat. I want to be able to do that. But the balance to life is that I'm going out into harvest, and that once a month or so, I love to be on a boat, enjoying God's creation. But life is not the boat. Life is not the house. Are you going to take your house to heaven? You're not going to take your house to heaven. You're going to take the people that you've brought along the journey to find Jesus to heaven. That's what you're going to take to heaven. And that should be the thing that we're most focused on. But I, while I say this, I equally understand the complexities of life. We've just had our second kid. Life's different right now. It's, it's waking up at midnight. It's waking up at 3 a.m. Not necessarily me. It's mainly my wife right now. I don't really have the goods to be able to assist my son. But life... It's, it's, it's got its complexities. But the thing is, it's not about doing. It's about a heart state that we live aware, that we live awake to the fact that people, if they don't know Jesus, will perish. We can't be content about this. If you know Jesus and you've experienced his love and you've experienced his grace, don't let there be a full stop on your Christianity. There has to be a comma. There has to be more to you. There has to be more to this life to be lived. God's, God still allowed you to breathe another breath today because he's got a mission for you. He's, he's got a focus that he wants you to fulfill in Jesus' name. All right, slap over, right? There we go, finished. Today, think of it, we've been on this journey and, and here's, here's kind of the fresh stuff that I want to focus in on today. Think of it like this. We're on this journey of head, heart and hands. The head revelation is... The harvest is plentiful, 
but the labor is a few. Right? So that's like, okay, I understand that. I get that. What's our heart response? Everything that I kind of just went through just then. That's our heart response. It's a change of heart. It's a change of attitude. It's a change of, pers- of perspective. And now what we want to answer this morning is, well, how do I practically see people come into the kingdom? Because it's all well and good to like yell at you and inspire you and challenge you. But like, I want to practically equip you so that you can actually go about doing, going into the harvest, seeing people come to know Jesus. So this morning, we're going to talk about the hands. We're going to talk about the doing. And uh, this list is not exhaustive. Uh, there are so many ways that you can reach people for Jesus. Uh, but today, my, my heart is, and my hope is, is that you'd be equipped with something that you can take away. And we're going we're to kind of start at step one, and we're going to try a few things, and we're, we're going to explore some things that maybe you're ready for, maybe something that you're going to do in a later season. And uh, let's explore that this morning. Here's the first way. How do we practically, the hands, how do we go into the harvest. The first one is the method of invitation. The method of invitation. You know, many of you follow Jesus today because of someone's invitation to experience Jesus. Maybe you were invited to something in a a past season or something like that. Many of you are following Jesus because of that. Many of you are actually in this church today, believing or not, because of someone's invitation for you to come and experience church, experience what life is like following Jesus. Jesus. And, uh, and in, uh, sorry, offering an invitation, that was, uh, 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 offering an invitation is actually a brilliant first step in the journey of sharing someone, uh, sharing Jesus with someone. It's a brilliant first step. Invitation can just be the simplest thing that you do, inviting someone to come to experience Jesus. You know, when I was in high school, uh, uh, there was this, uh, there was this um, young guy that I was friends with. And sadly, in year six, his dad um, had actually committed suicide. And, and I watched this journey from year six to about year nine. And I watched this young man's kind of slow decline. Um, the household wasn't great. Mum wasn't really, understandably, mum wasn't really coping with the situation and, and the circumstance. And, and he wasn't too. He was on this slow decline. He was starting to, you know, medicate and starting to mask his pain through getting drunk and, and starting to experiment with maybe some drugs and stuff like that. Anyway, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not just going to let this go past. I'm going to reach out to this person. I, I, at that point, I experienced God and realized how good God's love is. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to reach out to this guy. And I just said, hey, um, uh, why don't you come to youth group? Why don't you come to Friday night church? Come and experience that. It was just his invitation. And to cut a long story short, he came after a few weeks, made a decision to follow Jesus, and is still, still a Christian today, still following and loving God, all because of the power of invitation. You know, I'm actually really kind of here where I am today because of someone's invitation. Uh, my grandparents, they, they didn't grow up in church. They didn't grow up following Jesus. Uh, but in the late 70s, early 80s, someone invited them to Easter, their neighbor actually, after kind of like uh, a few times of inviting them. My grandparents finally gave in and said, like, all right, we'll come to Easter. We'll, we'll do the thing. We'll come at the Easter time. The preacher's preaching and uh, he makes that moment where people are able to make that decision to to follow Jesus. And uh, my grandparents, my grandfather went left. They've told me the story. My grandfather went left and my grandma went right. They didn't kind of consult each other. They both went down to the front to the altar and they met on the altar, realizing that they both made this decision to follow Jesus. My dad saw such a change in my grandfather that my dad realized like, man, this Jesus guy must be real. 
opened his heart, encountered God for himself. My dad met my mom in youth ministry. Let's go youth ministry. And uh, I'm here today because of, because of that, all because of a neighbor's invitation to invite someone to come and experience Jesus. You don't know how far your invitation will go. It'll probably, it'll probably outlive you. Your invitation will outlive you. It will go on and on, and it will start a link in the chain in someone's lineage. It, it will continue on, and you don't even know the fruit that's going to come because of your faith stepping out, inviting someone to come and experience Jesus. Uh, invitation is not just limited to church, but of course, we want to invite people to come to church, come to some sort of church event. Let's go launch Sundays. Let's invite someone. But you can also invite someone to read the Bible with you. It's invitation. It's, it's, it's this open opportunity. You can invite someone into prayer. You know, the thing that uh, really separates Christianity from all other beliefs is that other beliefs, you've got to work yourself to God. You've got to do this, do that. You've got to perfect yourself to get to God. Do this prayer at this time. Do this, do this, do that. And then maybe you might appease the gods. But Christianity stands alone in this, that God came down to you. God reached out to you and, and you didn't deserve it and you didn't earn it and you may even reject it, but Jesus died for you. This, this is the stark difference between every other belief system. And so this power of invitation is amazing because if you invite someone to church, if you invite someone to read their Bible, invite someone into a moment of prayer, they don't need to bow 10 times. They don't need to do steps one to 10. They just got to start where they're at. The power of invitation is actually amazing and could see someone come to know Jesus. Now this morning, I just want to tackle a few fears that are associated with these methods of, of, of sharing Jesus. And this method of invitation comes with the fear of rejection. That's the thing that's going to stop us, right, from actually stepping out and inviting someone to an event or inviting someone into a moment of prayer. It's like, oh, what if they, what if they reject me? And, we, and it's like this, it's, it's a split second moment. We're like inspired. We're like, yeah, I should invite this person. And then instantly we're like, oh, but what if, I, what if I get rejected? What if that person rejects the offer? And uh, here's the thing. Come on, don't let rejection be the thing that stops someone from coming to know Jesus. We've got to be more emotionally stronger than that to, to handle rejection, to handle someone saying no to us. You know, the stats actually say that it takes three to four invites before someone will actually accept that invitation in a Christian context. And the amazing thing is that I've actually seen that play out in this church. People have been like, I'm inviting this person and they didn't come the first week. I'm like, it's all right, keep inviting. They'll come. The stats say three to four invites. And literally after the third or fourth invite, that person has come into our community and now they're a part of it. They're a part of this amazing community. Come on. The power of invitation is incredible. Don't let the fear of rejection stop you from stepping out in faith and inviting someone. The second way that we can uh, share Jesus is that we can have intentional interactions. Intentional interactions. One way that we can bring in the harvest is that we can be intentional with the people that we interact with. Who do you interact with on a daily basis? Who do you interact with on a weekly basis? Maybe, maybe a monthly basis. I'm talking about obviously friends, work colleagues, uh, family, people you study with, people you play sport with, the online community. Maybe you play all night long games with certain people. You know, there are people that you 
communicate with. Maybe you're your barista. Maybe you have a barista. Maybe you have a coffee shop. You know, who do you interact with daily? And, and the difference here is that kind of, kind of life without Jesus is I just I live my life and I'm not really concerned about others. But life with Jesus is that wherever I go, I'm intentional to make connections with people that are genuine, that, that, that my heart is genuine towards people. Now, I'm not saying that people who don't know Jesus aren't genuine. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's this greater awareness that we need to be intentional when we go out into our community and want to see people come to know Jesus. You know, the thing is, there are many people who won't accept an invitation. They, they won't. They, or they might not feel like they actually want to uh, come into a church environment. But if you intentionally build relationship with them, they may listen to you. It's actually, I, I believe, honestly, it's actually a more effective way of reaching people. Sadly, traditionally, the way that people come to know Jesus is let the pastor do all the work. Let the pastor preach. Just let me invite that person. Hey, you, pastor, you catch up with that person for coffee because you know the Bible and you know about Jesus. And I'm saying to you, no, no, I'm here to equip you so that you can do the work of ministry. Ephesians 4 says that the, the, the purpose of the church is that it would equip the saints, equip the believers for the work of ministry. You are going to interact with people. You're going, you're going to touch different people in your life that I will never meet. And the leaders in this church will never meet, but you will meet them. And they will see Jesus through you, not through you being unintentional, but you being intentional. And it's this idea that as I go about my life, as I, as I pay for my fuel, as I buy my coffee, I don't just see them as some random or a number, but I see them as a child of God, someone that, that God loves. And I'm intentional to build that relationship, intentional to see something genuine happen in their life. The fruit and the goal of intentional relationships is that you would build trust with someone. And from that place of trust, you can share what God has for them and you can share maybe your story, maybe your journey of someone following Jesus. Here's the thing. Here's the fear that can be associated with this method of sharing Jesus. It's the fear of vulnerability. You know, when you intentionally build a relationship with someone, there has to be this level of vulnerability. And what can be the thing that stops us from building that relationship is, oh, I don't know if I want to be vulnerable. But again, don't let that fear, don't let that, that idea, that, 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 that vulnerability would actually hold you back from witnessing and showing someone the goodness of Jesus in their life. The truth is, it's easier to go through life and be unintentional about people. It's easier but it's a selfish life to live. A life that's intentional, a life that's awake to the harvest is not selfish. It's actually others focused as we talked about before. The third way that we can uh, reach people for Jesus, another method is uh, inscribing. And uh, I just kind of get the eyes going here so that we can kind of all remember them. But inscribing means writing down, writing down something. You know, once we've built that place of trust with people, we better have something to say. We, we, we better have some sort of response to people's questions. We, we better have some sort of story that we want to tell people. First Peter says this, we read this verse last week. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You know, some of us actually need to go home today, bit of homework for you, go home today, sit down and write your story. Write what God's done in your life. 
Because it's all well and good to have a heart. to I'm ready. I want to share Jesus. But are you practically prepared to share something? As the word says, that we are always ready. That we're always alert. We always have something to share with people. And it can actually look like this. As you're going about reading your word and you see this revelation, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to write that down. Because when I have the opportunity, this is going to bless that person in my world. When I read this verse, gosh, that, that is really going to, that's going to bless that person. Or as you're reading something, it's like, that's my prayer for that person. Begin to write down, begin to get really practical about seeing people come to know Jesus. But that also that you would sit down and write your story. Write what God's done in your life. You know, the fear that's associated with this method of sharing Jesus, it's another level of vulnerability and I've kind of summed it up as this. It's, it's more exposing. Because when you share your story, it's not just that I'm a Christian, but you begin to share your life warts and all. You, sh- you share what your life was pre-Jesus. You share what your life was in that moment where you found Jesus. And, and now you share what my life is like with Jesus. That, that, that's a structure in how you can write your testimony. It's, it's another level of vulnerability. It's another level of saying, hey, you know, you, you know me as this today, maybe in this workplace, but five years ago, I was this. And, and it's another level of, of being vulnerable, but come on, let's not let a lack of vulnerability hold us back from sharing what God has done in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, the second last way that we can share this good message of Jesus is uh, through intercession. Intercession. Intercession is just a, just, a, just a word that basically means praying on behalf of another. You know, you might have invited someone. You might have built relationship with someone. You maybe even have written down stuff or you're, you're practically prepared to, to share something. But, but you're just not breaking through. You're just not seeing breakthrough in that person. Well, the next thing that you need to do is you need to start praying. You need to start interceding. And this is where it transitions from kind of like real rubber meets the road faith, where it's like, God, I've done everything that I can, and now I need to start praying. Now I need to start declaring, God, I pray that you would move this person's heart. Help me. God, give me ways that I can speak to them. Give me a word of knowledge. Give me, give me a prophetic word for them that, that, that only they would know and that it would reveal that, God, you love them, that you see them, that you hear their thoughts, that you see what's happened in their life, that we'd begin to intercede for people's life, that things would be broken over people's life, any sort of stronghold or anything like that. And again, intercession is, is stepping into this whole new idea of realizing that I can't be content with the state of people's spiritual health. That something must move me. Something must move me to the prayer room. That this heart response is like, God, I want to see people come to know you. God, I want to see that happen. And, and the response is not frustration. The response is prayer. The response is lifting up that person, honoring that person, saying, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. What's the, uh, what's the fear that's associated with this method? The fear actually isn't necessarily about other people, but it's actually something that's probably maybe between you and God. Maybe it's the fear of, does God actually hear my prayers? What, what, what if they don't turn around? What, what if they don't start following Jesus? And now this, these fears are open up another whole can of worms that I don't have time to go into today. But to be put simply, does God hear my prayers? Yes. Matthew 6 says that he actually knows what we're going to pray and knows what we need before we even 
pray it. God, God, God hears our prayers. That's the honest truth. Uh, but the second question is, what if, what if God doesn't answer that prayer? What, what, if, what if that doesn't come to fruition? Even though I'm praying, I'm seeking, what happens if that person actually doesn't follow Jesus? Here's what I know. God's heart is that none would perish, that all would be drawn to him. So his answer to the prayer for someone's salvation is not no. It's yes. That's, that's my heart. Yes. You're praying my heart. That, 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 that's it. That, that's, that's the thing. But the truth is, is that God has actually given all of us the choice as to whether we follow him or not. And so sadly, sometimes even after years of prayer, even after God maybe even answers those prayer, he reveals himself to people in miraculous ways. And God does so many amazing things for them in grace, in mercy. Sometimes people are still hard-hearted. They're still stubborn. They're still closed off to the things of God. It's because they still have that choice to, to choose whether they follow Jesus or not. God's not going to kind of like force himself on someone. God's going to open their heart slowly but surely and allow them to see and allow them to give them that choice. Now, that's, that's, that's the cold black and white truth. But here's what's also true. This shouldn't stop us from praying. This shouldn't stop us from seeking God. To be honest, it actually should, it should encourage us to pray more fervently, to maybe even pray with fasting. There might be something that needs to be broken with fasting. And again, I've opened a whole other can of worms. We're going to talk about fasting one day in the future. If you're not sure what that is, go to Korong, buy a book. Go watch a YouTube video, something like that. Not praying does nothing, but praying does something. Don't, don't let the fear of, of, does God hear my prayers or... God might not even answer this anyway. Not doing nothing is nothing. Nothing's going to happen. But doing something is, is going to see something, going to see some sort of breakthrough in Jesus' name. If Carl, if you could join up and play the keys, that'd be awesome. Lastly this morning, how to, what's another way that we can reach people for Jesus? It's actually listening to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. Listening to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. You know, as believers, we believe that God's actually not just someone that's distant in heaven. But the Bible says that when you believe in Jesus, you're filled with the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And each believer, each person who, who, who yeah, follows Jesus has his Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of them. And the Holy Spirit's job is many things. He comforts us. He empowers us. He reminds us of Scripture. This is all in John 14 and 15, by the way kind of the job description of the Holy Spirit. He does all these amazing things in our life, but He also guides and leads us and He also prompts us because the Word also says that God is drawing men to Him. God is actively drawing people towards Him, but that as He does that, He empowers us to finish off the work that He's been doing in that person's life. And there may have been times where you felt in your heart like God say, hey, go tell that person I love them. Or go pay for that person's coffee or go pay for that person's fuel or groceries or hey, that person in the corner, don't just leave them, go, out, go after them. If you've ever thought that, thought that thought or felt that feeling, that hasn't come from you. All good things come from God. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit giving you instruction to go out and reach someone. And, you know, this area here, this, this instruction, this, vol- this following of the voice of the Holy Spirit, I've got to be honest with you, this is one area in my life that I'm not happy with and that I'm actively working on. I'm really asking God, God, when I go out today, when I go to the shops, when I go out to the community, when I go see family, 
God, give me something. Give, help me. Give me some sort of word or show me a moment of opportunity. God, I want your instruction. I want your prompting. And I shared last week in the message, I did have a moment of prompting where I was able to help an elderly lady who had, who had broken her hip. And the only reason that she was walking was because she was so desperate for cigarettes that she'd driven down from her house to the fuel station and she'd hobbled on a broken hip into the fuel station, bought those cigarettes. And as she was leaving, that's when I arrived and I was like, hey, can I help you? Found out she had a broken hip. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing walking? Can I help you? And then I didn't stop there. I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Pray for her. Pray for her. And I had this moment of opportunity to pray for this woman. And uh, hey, I, I don't, the, the story doesn't end in this amazing testimony of her receiving Jesus in that moment. But what I do know is this. The Bible says that some plant seeds, some water, and some reap the harvest. And there are going to be people in your life that you're going to sow seeds. And other people are going to water them. Or there are going to be people in your life that you water. And there are going to be people in your life that you're going to reap that harvest for the kingdom in Jesus' name. Church, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Come on, Disciple House. We don't want, to, we don't want a church of churchgoers, tick the box. Let's, let's just enjoy a nice kumbaya experience. We're, we're, we're on mission. All of us have been called to different spaces and places in our community. You're engaging with people that some of us in this room would never meet, never interact with, and God has called you to bring the message of Jesus in their life. I want to, as I conclude this morning, I want to answer this question. Why, why are Christians so mad and crazy and, and sometimes why have Christians done the wrong thing with a right heart? They've done the wrong thing to tell the message of Jesus. In 1912, uh, the, the Titanic made its maiden voyage. And uh, if you've, you know about the Titanic, maybe you've watched the movie. It was a great kind of glimpse into what it could have been like. And uh, it was, there was a lot of pride associated with this boat. It said it would be the unsinkable boat. At that time, the Titanic was the largest vessel that had ever been constructed. And there was just this kind of like real pride and arrogance about the situation in hindsight. And they're, they're, they're rolling full steam ahead in a place where they know that, that icebergs are actually prevalent in that area. And uh, in the movie, obviously in the, in the fictional version of the tale, uh, Rose is uh, out there with, uh, I've forgotten the, Jack, thank you. Could have fit on the door. Anyway, not going to open up that. But uh, they're out there on the deck, and, and they're the first ones to kind of see the, uh, the iceberg. And they run in, and because she's first class, she, she actually knows the person who constructed the boat, and they have this dialogue. And she goes on to say, but uh, Thomas, I think the man's name is, what, what's going to happen? You know, you've told me that there's not enough lifeboats. And Thomas says, quickly run. Go, go tell only who needs to know. And quickly run and get on a lifeboat. And it's this story that explores the class systems that were prevalent at that time about them trying to get as many people to the top and to rescue. You know, this, this man, Thomas, he said to Rose, only rescue a few people. But the opposite is true with Jesus. We, we need to tell everyone that one day, in your life, you're actually going to experience this iceberg moment where you're going to hit reality and realize that you're going to meet your maker. And it's this decision of, are you going to be able to be in the lifeboat or not? The only way that you're able to actually be in the lifeboat, the place where you're actually able to go and meet Jesus and see Jesus, is if you 
receive what He's done in your heart and in your life. And so the reason that as Christians, and in recent years, we've, we've kind of quietened down because culture has actually kind of really um, kind of gone at us. Don't, don't be preachy at me and, and all this sort of stuff. And to be honest, it was, it was a bit rightfully so because Christians were doing things that weren't right and, 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 and weren't the right way of going about things. But now there's this, there's this breath of the Holy Spirit encouraging the church again. So don't be silent. Share the good news of Jesus, as that verse says, with gentleness and respect. In honesty, in times gone past, we've not done that. And today, as someone who's a leader in a church, I just want to publicly repent of those, those, those methods and those ways of doing things. It just actually shows how much we need Jesus because we're not perfect and, and we're not whole. But don't let that voice of culture shut you down from the truth that you know. If you're a believer, you know God's good. You know He's good. You know He's true. You believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life. So why do Christians constantly tell people, well, if you knew that the iceberg was going to happen, if you know that people's, uh, at the end of their road is going to end in destruction, wouldn't you not tell them about the good news of Jesus? To be honest, if you don't tell, if you know Jesus is true, you know He is real, if you don't tell friends, family, work colleagues, the people that you interact with, in your world about Jesus, it's actually unloving. It's, it's, it's sitting in fear. It's sitting in selfishness. And we've got to get over that. We've got to transition to the other side and say, you know what? I might get rejected. I might need to be vulnerable. My past might be exposed. I might need to sit down. I might need to, I need, might need to wrestle with faith, even with God. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to see people come into the kingdom of Jesus. Again, church, the harvest is not in lack, it's plentiful. And, and you're called to a specific field. Your workplace, the gifts and talents that God's given you, the influence that you have in people's life, whether great, whether small, God's placed you there as a light in the darkness. The question is, are you going to answer the call to be a laborer in His harvest field?